0: Early Risers is supported by Health Partners and Park Nicollet. From rashes, fevers, shots, and all other things that make you worry a lot, Health Partners has pediatric care for your kids. Visit healthpartners.com slash schedule.
1: From Little Moments Count and Minnesota Public Radio, this is Early Risers. Waking up to racial equity in early childhood, I'm your host, Diane Halsey, with Think Small in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This podcast is about how to talk with very young children about race and racism. Today, we wanted to share with you a very special episode of Early Risers. I recently sat down for an intimate, in-person conversation with Minnesota's Lieutenant Governor, Peggy Flanagan. This was part of the Little Moments Count 6th annual meeting in November 2021. Little Moments Count is a statewide initiative to encourage parents to talk, read, play, and sing with very young children. Peggy Flanagan is Minnesota's 50th Lieutenant Governor. She is a registered member of the White Earth Band of Ojibwe. She made history in 2018 when she won her seat as Lieutenant Governor.
0: And I'm honored to have you swear me in today as I become the highest-ranking Native American woman elected to executive office in the country. And I never imagined that I would say that.
1: I've known the Lieutenant Governor for over a decade. In 2014, she helped start a coalition of BIPOC professionals to advocate for children of color at the state legislature, and she invited me to be co-chair. I know the lieutenant governor to be a passionate advocate for children and families, as well as someone who cares deeply about issues of racial equity as a policymaker and as a parent.
0: Listen, like, I struggle just as much as the next parent to figure out how to talk about these things, I try to respond as a parent to the world in which we exist currently and also talk about what our vision is for how we want the world to be.
1: I was curious to hear how Peggy Flanagan has experienced this challenging moment we've all been living through, from the pandemic to the murder of George Floyd and the racial justice uprisings that followed, and how her experience as an Indigenous woman state official, and parent have shaped how she looks at issues of race and the importance of early childhood policy. Lieutenant Governor, I want to thank you first off for taking time to talk with me and to help kick off Little Moments Count's sixth annual event. I've been asked to talk with you today to open up conversation about how to talk to children about race and other trauma. I'm honored to be having this conversation with you about what you have learned about growing up in Minnesota as a person of color and now raising your daughter. I'm interested to know how that experience has shaped you as a mom, as a public official, and as a human. So I am just want to get started off and, and let you all know that I'm thankful to be here with Lieutenant Governor, not only because I respect her in her role as Lieutenant Governor, but also because she's a good friend of mine. So thank you for being here.
0: It's my absolute pleasure uh, to be here, and I'm super excited for not only the conversation that we are having, um, but the conversations that you're going to have with folks um, all across the state about this important issue because, as you know, in Minnesota, we don't talk enough about race and how it impacts, especially uh, how it impacts our children. So this conversation is timely and needed and necessary.
1: So let's get started. So we know that you are a member of the White Band Nation, and your father was an American Indian land rights and sovereignty activist. So tell us about the first time your parents or maybe another adult talked to you about race. How did it make you feel? Sure.
0: So um, I am absolutely a product of both of my parents, although I didn't um, grow up with my dad and wasn't in relationship with him until um, I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. But what I did know is that as a Native kid who is growing up in St. Louis Park, there weren't a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And I was one of just a handful of Native kids in the district. And I knew that when we talked about things like Columbus, discovering, um, in quotations, America. Or, and frankly, uh, the first time that I really had a hard conversation about race was when there were kids on the playground who were doing war whoops around me
1: oh when my. they
0: found out that I was Native. And coming home and talking to my mom and my mom who did the absolute best she could as a white woman, um, in, you know, having this conversation and just saying like, that's, you know, that's not fair. That's not right. It's not who you are. You Mm -hmm. know, I'll talk to the teacher and all I knew is that I felt different Mm -hmm. and othered, you know, my teachers growing up were, were wonderful. And, didn't totally have the skill set or the expertise or the resources to be able to create an environment, I think, that was supportive of me, but also other Native kids or or kids of color. So we had to sort of fumble along and and figure it out. But, you know, my dad was Marvin Manypenny, and he's the kind of guy where people would be like, oh, Marvin's your dad, or... oh, Marvin's your dad. <laughs> like there's like no in between. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Why and I it. appreciate like that <laughs> reaction. Um, because it meant that like, he was an agitator mm-hmm. and that's, and so he always said, my girl, I want to burn the system down and you want to change it from the inside out. And we need both. And I think that that's right. Um, so I have tried to change that system from the inside out while yeah. also knowing that it is important to be able to have those fist in the air moments, yeah. Yeah. especially for our kids. You know, my mom advocated for me. She did the best she could. And now I am doing what I can for my child. But doing so, I think, with more community, more resources, more knowledge about these systems, how they've impacted our kids,
1: and right. our responsibility to disrupt those systems. Absolutely. Yes. And and that leads me to kind of another question. I've, I've heard you talk a little bit about the challenges you've had raising your daughter um, to be knowledgeable about her Native heritage. Can you talk about how you've talked to your daughter, even when she was young, about her heritage and about race? Sure. So, you know, it's just part of our family, right? And so it
0: was important, you know, when she was uh, really little that we just made sure that we were, you know, praying and using our medicines, right? That like our house smells like sage and sweetgrass. Mm -hmm. And um, that is a comforting and wonderful thing, right? When we use our asema, our tobacco, and we pray with it. That's also something that I wanted my daughter to be exposed to every single day. We have an incredible resource here in Minnesota with Birch Bark Books, which is the local books store that's owned by Louise Erdrich. And so walking into Birch Bark, there's a whole section of children's books that are all about Native kids, their identity. There's books in Ojibwe and Dakota. And um, so having those books very early on, board books in Ojibwe, um, stories about other Native kids like her, like those were not available in the same way when we were coming up. Mm -hmm. And so having those now makes a tremendous difference. One of the, I think the most important gifts that I can give my daughter is bringing her with me into community and yes. I know that there's times when she's like mom <laughs> like I just want to go right or like when right. we run into people and in target and she's like oh gosh I just want to get out of here mom too. right like you visiting um but I also want her to know that like that is a responsibility yeah. right that like I have as an Anishinaabe Kwe as like a native woman but also that we have to each other, is just to, to be there and to hear what's happening in the community. Um, that's so I important. I think is like mm-hmm. one of the best things, right, that I can do for her. Of course, it's been hard with COVID, but, you know, that's really important. And also now being in a moment where I can make sure that, uh, you know, she goes into that classroom, right, and is fully... Um, my kid knows who she is, right? That's And beautiful. that matters. Mm-hmm. And we are really fortunate to be in a district where we have a lot of partners in educating our child, where I know that I'm not going to have to, like, this week, right, is Thanksgiving. And, like, November is always a real interesting month, yeah. right, to be Indigenous. <laughs> but that. I am confident that her teacher, who is a Black woman, understands who my child is and what she's all about and what other kids need to know. And not every family has that confidence. Mm -mm. We may not have it next year, right? (laughs) Um, But that that is ultimately the goal that we need folks, right? So that any kid can walk into a classroom, know they will be loved, appreciated, see curriculum that looks like them teachers at the front of the classroom that look like them and that we don't want to wait until someone is like a sophomore in college until they <laughs> learn the truth about you know the history of the state and where they come from and we have to do that with our with our itty bitties and parents need to feel like they can ask for those things too and that's part of our responsibility I think is creating that space in that environment that it's not a nice to have, mm-hmm. right, is a must-have and an expectation for the places where our children are
1: all the time. What I love about what you're saying is that you're, you know, I always talk about how our children need to, especially children of color, especially in a place like Minnesota, need to know who they are. And you have developed such a wonderful opportunity for your daughter to know who she is when she walks in spaces because ultimately it's not an if but a when there mm-hmm. will come a time when somebody will tell her something different like what happened to you on the playground and it's good for her to be able to have that because then she will be able to say nope that's not me mm-hmm. this is who I am and she can speak her truth that's right so that's beautiful and she has
0: uh we had one incident uh already of course last year where she said that's not true um, and she, and, she was, and which was good, um, you know, and, and handled the situation. And we talked to the teacher and it was all good. But even like this year, she said um, they were talking about Native Americans and where they live. And, and someone was like, they live in tents. And uh, apparently this is like the story that's relayed to me by her teacher. Siobhan sort of rolled her eyes, <laughs> looked at the teacher and her teacher said, do you want to, would you like to talk about this? And she's like, yes. And she said, some Native people lived in teepees. She said, you know, as Ojibwe people, we lived in wigwams. And she's like, but today I live in a house. And it was just like, I don't know that I would have, as an eight-year-old, like felt that confidence. like And to also feel like I had a co-conspirator and an ally in my teacher. Um, right. Like that's that's for real. And it is because her teacher has also done that work yes right that that there's that environment but it's not always going to be that way and so needing to make sure that she knows who she is so that in those spaces where she doesn't have a co-conspirator mm-hmm. or allyship that she still can hold her own and as much as possible walk out of that situation unscathed
1: I'm Diane Halsey, and you're listening to Early Risers, waking up to racial equity in early childhood. My guest today is Minnesota's Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan. I interviewed her in November 2021 as part of a virtual statewide event organized by Little Moments Count. So we know that you have, um, before you became our lieutenant governor, you have a background, actually, in working on policy for early childhood. So what have your life experiences taught you about the importance of having equitable early childhood policies? And can you talk a little bit about what you've learned about the importance of uh, talking about race within you know, writing policy? Sure.
0: So the first thing that I would say, and like this is in my role as an advocate when I was a children's defense fund or in the legislature or now as lieutenant governor, is that communities, um, Black, Indigenous, communities of color know what they need. And all we need to do as policymakers is listen to them. Mm. Like, that's it. And, And I think that Because we have a hard time in this state talking about race, uh, sometimes we try to bring solutions to the table before vetting them. Mm. Um, And that's, I think, when we get in trouble. Mm. Um, And what I've seen is that when we also are starting to, uh, and I'm going to keep this nonpartisan and protect Mm. everybody's tax status, but when we're able to elect folks at all levels of government who come from the communities that we come from right. and share those values yes. we can remove a couple of steps yeah right cuz right, it just right. it just is and when we don't center and talk about equity especially when it comes to issues of early childhood mm-hmm. or family economic security then we are literally like not addressing the problem mm-hmm. because talking about equity is how we meet the moment of literally the children who are in Minnesota. We're becoming more and more diverse, and we can't simply just put our head in the sand. We have to say, right, like, how are we meeting the needs of these kids, these families, but also learning from the culture and tradition Mm -hmm. and long-standing early childhood cultural practices in communities to help us get better
1: outcomes
0: because it's not working Right now.
1: Right. So you talked about how it is difficult for us to talk about race, and it is. And that is actually one of the reasons why I started Early Risers, is because I wanted people to be my my dream was that we would be able to teach our children how to have the conversations. That we cannot have. Mm-hmm. But all of our children, all of us actually, you know, um, you talked about we have been through a lot over the past 20 months. Um, you know, not just from the pandemic, but to the murder of George Floyd, Dante Wright, the uprisings that have come, uh, after that, uh, not to mention an insurrection on our nation's capital. What have you learned personally about how to have these hard conversations? And what have you learned about how you can even have these conversations with young children?
0: Sure. You know, the last 20 months have been incredibly traumatic. And I think one of the things uh, that we all need to hold and carry is that every child now in this country, around the world, has an ACE score. They have all been through trauma. Mm -hmm. And so we need to meet this moment in a way that is Mm trauma-informed. And while also simultaneously holding our own trauma Mm
1: -hmm.
0: in this moment, I will just be very candid with you and say uh, navigating through the last 20 months and in particular around the murder of George Floyd and Dante Wright as one of two BIPOC statewide elected officials uh, has been really hard. Mm. And sometimes the things that are on my heart— and that, like, my gut and my insides, you know, are struggling with. And I want to say it's difficult to figure out how to communicate those things effectively. Yes. I think it's, it's you to know. To where they will be heard. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Um, And my heart is hurting in this moment, too, as we saw the reaction to the murder of George Floyd. And here we are a year and a half later and... A lot of the empathy, the sympathy, the movement, it's hard work. It is. And so folks have sort of fallen away from their commitment to address these issues. Mm. You and I, Diane, can't do that. And I think it is a luxury for folks who are able to take that step back. And so as we are in this moment and having these conversations... You know, my daughter knows that George Floyd was murdered by Derek Chauvin and that he was a police officer and that there mm-hmm. is injustice in our law enforcement system itself. Mm-hmm. And trying to figure out how to have those conversations with our kids is hard. And they understand more than I think we give them credit for. Yeah, they do. Um she understands what is right and what is wrong, that everyone in our state and our community and our neighborhood should feel safe and valued and protected Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that that isn't the case for everybody. Right. And so that when you see something is unfair or unjust that you speak up, you name it, you talk about it, that mommy's job is trying to do that same thing. And sometimes there's people who don't agree with her and that's hard. But listen, like I struggle just as much as the next parent to figure out how to talk about these things. Um, I try to respond as a parent to the world in which we exist currently and also talk about what our vision is for how we want the world to be and how we want it to exist and that how we conduct ourselves how we are a good friend how we respond to somebody who may be sitting by themselves on the playground like Mm. all of those things are part of how we take care of each other Mm -hmm. so I'm honestly still trying to figure it out. But like, uh, and also knowing that sometimes I am on Zoom conversations and Teams meetings where Mm -hmm. we are talking about very heavy stuff and need to maybe debrief with her in a way that um, a lot of other kids maybe not having the same conversations in their homes, um, but that we have to do that. And so far, I'm really proud of the young leader uh, that she is and how she reacts and talks about these things, too.
1: Yeah. And, and you're right. Our children do know more than we think they know sometimes. And they know about how to be fair and just. And they know, you mm-hmm. know, they definitely understand those concepts. So tell us, what is your vision for children in Minnesota?
0: I want every child, no matter who they are or where they live, to feel confident to feel like they can walk into any room and feel seen and heard and valued and loved and that we also know that children don't come in pieces and that uh, we have a state where we are really looking at that whole child and making sure that they have a roof over their head Mm -hmm. and food in their bellies Mm -hmm. and that they value their education because their education values them Mm. and that their parents have transportation and a good paying job and access to healthcare so they can fully be present for the kinds of loving moments and conversations that need to be had. And sometimes it feels overwhelming Uh, to think about what it is that we want and how far away we are from it. Mm. But unless we can envision it, we can't work towards it. So I'm going to do as much as I can in this role for as long as I can (laughs) to push and agitate and try to change things um, from the inside uh, out. And then knowing that there are a whole bunch of folks and a whole bunch of young people who are also Getting ready to take my place.
1: Peggy Flanagan is Minnesota's 50th Lieutenant Governor. She previously served on the Minneapolis Board of Education and in the Minnesota House of Representatives. She's the former executive director of the Minnesota Chapter of the Children's Defense Fund. You can watch a video of my conversation with Peggy Flanagan and other conversations and talks from the Little Moments Count annual meeting, including a wonderful keynote by Dr. Ann Garrity. She's a University of Minnesota professor who studies trauma in young children. Look for those videos on our episode page at npr.org backslash early risers. This episode of Early Risers was produced by Nancy Rosenbaum. Our technical director is Alex Simpson. And our executive producer is Andrea Bork. Kavish Kavaraj composed our theme song, I Still Remember. Special thanks to the whole team at Little Moments Count and NPR. I'm your host, Diane Halsey. Thanks for listening.